finishing the book of Romans today. Uh, we're not having the party this week, as I said just before. Matt's doing the victory lap next week. But today we are finishing the book of Romans, um, last three verses. Um, we're structuring things a little bit differently today. You'll notice I'm, I'm up here earlier than we normally would be uh, doing the message. And that's because of reasons that will become evident as we dig into the text now. Uh, let me read the passage today, and I'll pray for us once more, and then we'll jump in. Let's hear the word of God now. End of Romans. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. End of Romans. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word today to hear from you, we ask that we would have our eyes opened, and our hearts ignited to your majesty and to your glory. Lord, would we grasp afresh this morning the pure, holy beauty of who you are and the glory of all it is that you do. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear your voice this morning. Would you shape us by your word? Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, if you've been around kids much, you might know this, but they are essentially tiny philosophers. Uh, they, they reach an age where they are so thirsty to understand everything uh, that they, dis they discover a word. And the word becomes the bane of your existence as a parent. Do you know what the word is? Why? Why? Get down from there. Why? Stop touching that. Why? Get that out of your mouth. Why? All of a sudden, what feels like simple instructions must come substantiated with logical and detailed reasons behind the command. No longer is the simplicity um, all that's required. You need an essay to help them understand why this is an important thing. And it all comes, I think, from this sincere and instinctive desire to actually understand the world. Why? And then uh, <laughs> what happens is we grow into adulthood, and uh, we get busy, and there's things to do, and the pace of life picks up, and all of a sudden we're just getting by, and there's something that we overlook, and we stop asking why as much and as annoyingly. Why? Friends and adults, why is a great question to ask all the time. Why? Why am I here? What 
is the point of this? That was a what question, but same thing. Why did God create the universe? Where is all this headed? What is the end? What is the, the, the telos, the goal, at the end of this whole thing? Where is everything kind of aiming towards? Why? Our little text today is a short text, and yet you might have noticed it is jam-packed with lots and lots and lots of meaning and wonder and things for us to think through today. Uh, it's also one of Paul's classic sentences, which is not a sentence. Uh, you might have noticed that. It just kind of keeps going. And um, even the scholars, they're like, the grammar makes no sense. It, it's, it's, uh, it's one of these like rambling sentences that he does some, from time to time. So here's the plan. I'm just going to give you the plan up front, how we're going to kind of approach this. The first thing we're going to do is take a step back and just look at the, the forest of this, like the big picture of the text. And then we're actually just going to zoom in on just one single tree of the forest, so to speak, uh, to get our heads around this. So firstly, let's start with the big picture, the forest. Um, you can actually see the essence of this text when you strip away all the kind of the contingent clauses in the middle. And so I've done that by graying out all the middle text. Do you want to flip up, flip, flip up the next one? There you go. This is essentially what he's saying. Once you take away all the, all the middle part. Now to him be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Everything in the middle is explaining, is, is the who. Now to him who dot 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 all this content. Be glory forevermore in Jesus Christ. So stripping away that, you can see what it is that he is actually saying. He's saying, to him be the glory. To God be the glory forever. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is known as a doxology. You might be familiar with that word. You might not be. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a famous doxology through church history. Um, but doxology, it comes from two Greek words. Doxa, meaning glory. It has some other meanings as well. But in this context, it's doxa. And um, logos, words, words about glory, specifically words ascribing glory to God, doxology. And what I love about Paul is consistently through all of his letters, he can't bring himself to close a book. He certainly can't bring himself to close a book like Romans without just praising God for all he is, for everything he's done. And so a doxology is essentially something that rises up in the heart of a person as we meditate on who God is and what he's done. It's what comes up as we, as we experience his grace. It is the response of a worshipful and thankful heart. We want to give him praise for who he is. It's doxology. There are some wonderful doxologies found in the New Testament, a whole stack of them, not just Paul as well. Um, Matt actually already did a sermon, a single sermon on a doxology back in Romans 11. Uh, let me read out that one. You can go back and listen to the message if you want to. It's on the podcast. Uh, it says this from verse 33. Oh, the depth and the, of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. It's a beautiful doxology. Love that one. Romans 11. We see them elsewhere from Paul. We go on in Philippians 4. To our God and Father 
be glory forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 3, one of my personal favorites. I love this one. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul's not the only one that loves a bit of doxologizing. Make up a word there. First uh, Peter 4.11, To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation, this is uh, the Apostle John speaking now. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Finally, one of the most famous doxologies in the New Testament from Jude, the brother of Jesus, uh, verses 24-25. It doesn't, it doesn't get a chapter because it doesn't have more than one chapter, so it's just verses. Jude, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. I just wanted to show you a shotgun. I missed a ton, by the way, but I just wanted to give you a shotgun of, of some of the wonderful, beautiful doxologies that exist in the New Testament because I want, I want these to ring in your ears. Like a, like a church bell, loud, clear, incisive, penetrating. Friends, a passionate desire for the glory of God in the world is the heartbeat of the Scriptures. A passionate desire for the glory of God is the heartbeat of the Scriptures. It is the heartbeat of the Scriptures. It is the heartbeat of, of our faith as Christians, and it should be the heartbeat of every church and every follower of Jesus who has been rescued from sin and death by the blood of Christ. To God be the glory forever and ever. That's the heartbeat of the Christian. It's the heartbeat of the biblical church. The glory of God, friends, is the ultimate why behind all things. The glory of God is the ultimate why behind all things. It is the why behind your very life. There is a sense in which your life is not ultimately about you, ultimately. You exist to be a living, breathing doxology. A living, breathing, walking doxology for the glory of God in the world. That's our call. So I just want to ask the question, what does it mean for us to glorify God? What does that mean? How do I do it? Um, I found that one of the most helpful things, uh, John Piper, he points out that to glorify God is to, is to magnify God. I've got to say more than that because there's actually two types of magnification. Um, the first type of magnification is a, is a microscope, right? Um, that's the one that makes a tiny little, little tiny thing, like a little speck, a little cell, takes a cell and makes it big so we can see it. So take something tiny and makes it bigger than it actually is. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> the second type of magnification is what the Hubble telescope does, or now the, the James Webb, which is apparently 100 times stronger than the Hubble 
And these take something that is astronomically massive, beyond all of our comprehension, out there in the universe, and brings it down onto a screen so we can begin to comprehend how big it is. Taking something mass impossibly massive and bringing it to bear in our world. And in glorifying God, we are called to not be microscopes, but to be telescopes. Okay? Which means that we are to spend our lives trying to make God's infinite beauty and glory and majesty visible. Like, look as if it's there. Bring it to bear on the world. Make it look just as massively wonderful as it is. Caveat. We're not saying, because I, I, I can hear how that could be misinterpreted, we're not saying that we're doing God a favor by doing this either, are we? Right? As if, as if we're giving him something that he doesn't already have. Think about the stars up there. Think about the biggest star in the galaxy that God made, by the way. Hundreds and hundreds of times bigger than our star, our, our sun, which is, again, hundreds of times bigger than our planet. That sun is there burning, whether we're pointing this telescope at it or not. Right? It's there. It's existing. Its glory is evident. We don't have to point the telescope at it to make it exist or to give it glory. Rather, what, what happens is when we, when we point the telescope at it, or to use the analogy, right, when, when we live in light of the glory of God on, in, in our lives, we actually we're, we're help. His majesty is brought to bear on the world. People can see it in us. It's, it's seen and it's felt and experienced and made more tangible. And so when you live your life as if God is really there, you're living as a telescope. You're helping the glory of God come to bear on the planet around us, right? So every time we live lives of worship, every time you make a conscious decision to obey God rather than walk in the paths of the flesh, you are saying God is better than this other thing. God is better, and you're making his glory visible. Every time you forgive someone who has wronged you, you are glorifying God and making his glory visible visible. You're living out the glory of God. Every time you deny yourself to lift up another and you show compassion, you're glorifying God. You're making his glory visible, magnifying it. Every time you stand up for your faith when it is much easier not to, you're making the glory of God visible. All these, all these little moments, all these little moments of worship are actually about magnifying God with your life. That's, that's what you're doing. Friends, it's our place in this world to live our lives as if God is actually there. That he is who he said he is. That he is, that he is who he is, infinitely beautiful, infinitely gracious, full of majesty, full of compassion, full of love. He is glorious. And he is worthy of our praise. I wonder what would happen every one of us would actually discard our functional atheism and live our lives in light of the God who is actually there. What it would change if we started living as if he actually hears our prayers. He's actually at work in our lives in a million ways we don't know about. You may have heard of the, uh, the great... German composer, Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, he, at 48 years old, got a copy of Luther's 
translation of the Bible, and he began reading it, and he developed, through reading the Bible, this love for the glory of God. And um, he, he began to see all of his work, whether he was writing hymns or not, he began to see his work as God's calling on his life. Uh, he believed his work had two purposes. This is Bach pe- uh, speaking, and in English, because I don't speak German. He says, the final aim and reason of all music is nothing other than the glorification of God and the refreshment of the Spirit. And I've always loved the way he, he signed off all of his music at the bottom there. You can make out three letters, maybe not, um, but they're not his initials. The, the letters there are SDG, not, a, not his initials. SDG is the initials of Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. To God alone be the glory. He'd, he'd finish all of, his, all of his work with, to God be the glory. This thing that I've just created, this beautiful thing, it's for God's glory. His work was for the glory of God alone. Because Bach knew that ultimately, ultimately, everything was about him. Everything was about him. I wonder what, I wonder if, what would happen if we plastered SDG over our entire lives, every element of our lives, our work to the glory of God, soli dea gloria, my relationships with my, my neighbors to the glory of God, soli dea gloria, my relationship with my kids to the glory of God, my prayers, soli dea gloria, soli dea gloria. My finances to the glory of God. On the ground, every single day, we make so many small decisions. Countless thousands of decisions, some big, some, some small. What, what am I going to have for breakfast today? What am I going to do for a career? Those are two different questions, but they're both important in some way. Um, what am I going to do for a career? Where am I going to live? What am I going to have for lunch maybe as well? That's important. Where am I going to, uh, who am I going to marry? What am I going to do for dinner? Where am I going to retire? What should I do for dessert? All very important questions that get asked in my house a lot. We face so many questions, so many decisions in our lives, and we need, genuinely, we need so much wisdom. We need so much wisdom to face these questions. And maybe today there's a decision weighing on your heart, Genuinely, there's been a decision you're trying to make and you don't know whether to go left or right. You're at a crossroads. You can see the sign there, path A, path B, left or right. You can't do both. You have to do one. What are you going to do? Can I submit to you that in making those hard decisions that take a ton of wisdom, pray a lot, pray a lot. But here's one question that I want you to ask yourself that sits above all other decisions One question that sits above all other questions when making a decision. What is it that will bring the most glory to God in this decision? What is it that would bring the most glory to God? What is it that's going to point to the gospel of Jesus Christ most clearly? Path A or path B? Which one makes God appear more glorious? Because if that's your purpose... If that's the purpose of your life, then that question becomes incredibly important, doesn't it? Above pragmatics, above logistics, above finances, above comfort, 
What brings glory to God becomes the overruling question in all things. What brings glory to God? And so can I just encourage you, let that question hang over your life, weigh on your heart in a good way, in a good way. Let it bear on your heart that you might navigate life's million of decisions with the question, how can I demonstrate God's glory in my life? How can I telescope right now and magnify God? So friends, we are, we are to be walking doxologies. We are to bring glory to God in everything we do. That is our purpose. That's why we're here. Before we, before we zoom in on a tree, can I just sidebar and just, this is a, this is a whole other sermon for a whole other day, but I don't want to move on before without saying this. I think this really needs to be said. Hearing that we exist for God's glory can freak us out a bit. It can be a hard thing to hear because we like to think that the universe revolves around us. And that's an adjustment. You're saying that I'm not the center of the universe? Yes, we can't all be the center of the universe. Like that's, that's logis- logically absurd. <laughs> but listen, this is what I want you to hear today. That the God of heaven is committed to his own glory above your glory is the best news. <laughs> because of how God in his wisdom has decided to glorify himself. How is it that God glorifies himself through us? It's not by crushing you to make himself seem strong. It's the opposite. Right? In his infinite wisdom, God has decided that he would glorify his name through adopting enemies and making them his family. That's the route he's chosen. He's going to bring glory to his name through the adoption of his enemies. He's going to glorify his name by pouring out his infinite love on those who do not deserve it exclusively. No one who gets his love deserves it. He's going to glorify his name, listen, by being nailed to a cross. That moment, that was sole dei gloria, to the glory of God. Jesus went to the cross for the glory of God. This is the kind of God that we have. This is the kind of God that we have. So this morning, you and I, we all woke up into a universe where ultimate reality is geared towards the glory of God and our joy. That is, we couldn't have dreamt of something better. We could not have dreamt of a better universe to live in today, friends. The glory of God is not something to cower from, but to rejoice in. He's made us to glorify him, and in so doing, he pours out his joy on us. He's worthy of our praise today. Let's, let's glorify him. We're, um, we've built our service today to give a good amount of time for us to worship together, to do the doxology thing. And so we are going to, after, after I finish preaching and after I pray, we're going to sing together. We're going to sing loudly, and we're going to sing for the glory of God. We're going to sing as if we want the person next to us to hear us and not the other way around. <laughs> Looking at you introverts, right? Sing for the glory of God today. Before we do though, I want to zero in on the contents of the doxology, um, which explains to us who this God is that deserves our worship. So to him be the praise, who? Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's where we're going to be circling back to later. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings 
and through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So firstly, he is the God who is able to strengthen you. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is he is the God who has revealed the mystery. In the New Testament, uh, this idea of the mystery revealed is, is a consistent one. It's not like a mystery that's unknowable. It's a mystery that's, it's something that has been revealed. So there's, once we didn't know it, now we know it. There's a revelation of the mystery. What's the mystery? Salvation of the world in Jesus. That's what he's talking about. The salvation of the whole world through Jesus Christ. It was a mystery before. It was talked about in the, in the prophets, but now it is out in the open. That's, that's the hidden thing that has been made known. Secondly, he, uh, thirdly, he is the eternal God. Just saying nothing came before him, nothing will exist after him. He has always been, he will always be. He is the eternal God. It's one of his attributes. Number four, he is the only wise God. Friends, we, we worship a wise God. Uh, Colossians 2.3 tells us that in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So friends, he's not only powerful, He's not only God, he's all wise. All wise. He knows the best thing to do at all times. He is never confused. He is never bewildered. He is all wise. And to that God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. But what we're going to focus on to finish is that first line. I'm zero on the one tree here. He is the one who is able to to strengthen you. He is the one who is able to strengthen you. I am willing to place a wager with any one of you that there is no one in this room right now who is feeling too strong. I don't think you've ever met that person. They're feeling like they have too much courage. They're feeling too resilient to the difficulties of this world who feel like they're living life on easy mode. This is just this is a piece of cake. What are you guys complaining about? Friends, there's lots of people in your life who might love you. They're not always able to strengthen you. Not fully. They can help, but they can't do what he can do. They can't give you the strength that you need. And if you are... If you're living life right, life is incredibly difficult. If you're living life right, it is a hard thing to do. Living a life of love and of sacrifice, self-sacrifice, it's incredibly difficult. The path of Jesus is not, a, is not a cakewalk. It's not always easy to love my kids the way that the Lord would have me love them. Sometimes they're, I get impatient, I get frustrated because they ask why. It's not always easy to forgive when you're wronged and you know you've been wronged and the other person doesn't think they've they've wronged me. That's hard. It's not always easy to place the needs of others above myself. Like Jesus placed my needs above his. Philippians 2, 3. Friends, the, the life of faith requires more strength than you possess. It genuinely does. 
Some of you have noticed that. <laughs> you know, you, you're like, it, why does it always feel like Jesus is calling me to do something that I can't do? Why does my life feel like a perpetual version of some version of that? It's because he's called you to do something you can't do by yourself. Friends, some of you, that's why you're exhausted. That's why you're exhausted. You are trying to do the impossible and live the life of faith without the ongoing strengthening of the Holy Spirit. You're trying to, trying to be perfected by the flesh, as Paul would say in Galatians. The, the Dutch hero um, of the faith, Corrie ten Boom, she um, put, a fi- put a finger on this in a beautiful way. Uh, she was famous for hiding Jews in the war uh, in, in, um, in the Netherlands and um, yeah, went to jail for her, her stand for Jesus in that way. But she would say this. She said, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. Amen. Every, every Christian that's ever lived for more than a day knows that that's true. Amen. It's hard. Tedious. But... When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus flows out of you. Have you you experienced that difference? Exhausted by faith? Friends, your faith is a strength to you. It's not easy. But it's a strength. He is able to strengthen us by his Holy Spirit. He really is. Uh, Corrie was was an amazing lady, obviously. She spent... Uh, almost a year in, um, in various concentration camps during the war. Uh, her whole family was arrested. She watched her dad die in the concentration camp and her sister as well. Uh, she was released eventually because of an admin error, of all things. Um, a clerical error, she got released. Ten days later, all the other ladies that she was living with were sent to the gas chambers. Ten days later after she was released. She would say afterwards, after that experience, through all her suffering in those camps, that the Lord gave her miraculous strength. I'm inclined to believe her. The Lord gave her the power and the courage she needed to endure horrors every single day. Friends, the Lord, he is able to strengthen you for what lies ahead. He is able to strengthen you for what lies ahead. We don't all spend, we're not all going to spend a year living under the same kind of brutality that she did. But we are all going to spend all of our lives living in the same brutal world that created that. We are all going to live through sickness and discouragement and struggle, grievance, bereavement. Death is all going to be part of our lives. So given that fact, isn't it just the best news in the whole universe that God loves us and he wants to give his strength to weak people who need his strength? He wants to give it to us. Friends, this is how he glorifies himself in the world. It's through giving us what we don't have. Every other Dictator in the world, what do they do when they get on top? There's a couple of good examples in the world right now, no name dropping though. They brutalize those under them to consolidate their strength, right? Anyone that sticks their head up above the crowd, off they go. They they exercise their power 
by keeping other threats in check. God is not threatened by you. He feels no threat from your strength. On the contrary, the stronger you are in faith, in hope and love, with the strength that he gives you, the more glorified he is. He wants to strengthen you for his glory. He does. He does not glorify, his, he does not glorify himself by making you weak, but by making weak people strong. Friends, do you, do you feel weak today? Are you poor in spirit? Are you mourning? I know some of us absolutely are. Friends, your Heavenly Father wants to give you a new infusion into your bloodstream of His living strength by the power of the Holy Spirit. He really is. He, he really is able to strengthen you. Love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12. He makes the point that, um, let me just read it. He says, my, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is referring to an, ex, an experience that God spoke to him. He, that is God, he spoke to me saying, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul, Paul got it, right? When I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. I'll be content, then, with my weakness, because that's when his power is made perfect in me. It's in my weakness. And so maybe it's time for you to stop being so strong. <laughs> Give up that game for a bit and go to him for some strength. Where you're going to get strength. He doesn't meet your strength with more strength. He meets your weakness with strength. We can go get some strength today. Uh, we, we can't miss this. Let's look where the strength comes from in the next phrase here. Where does the strength of God come from? To him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So God wants to impart a strength that comes from the gospel. We need the gospel to enter into the kingdom of heaven, yes, but we need the gospel to receive the strength to just face the daily trials of life, to just face human, human life. We do. We need his strength every day. It is in the gospel we are strengthened because it's the gospel that promises us forgiveness of sin. It's the gospel that promises us acceptance into God's family. It's the gospel that promises us blessings beyond anything we deserve. It's the gospel that promises us that the poor in spirit will see the kingdom of heaven. It's the gospel that promises us resurrection life, both now and forevermore. We can experience that today. Finally, it's the gospel that promises us a life-changing love that cracks us open and fills us with the glory of God beyond what we deserve, overwhelms us with peace. So let me ask you again, do you need his strength? I do. I know you do. So look to the cross. Look to the thorns. Look to the nails. Look to the dying cries of your Savior. Don't look at yourself. I'll sap your energy faster than anything else. Lift your eyes 
to your Savior who has loved you so well. I love the way that uh, the Scottish pastor, Robert Mary McShane, said it. He said, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. <laughs> That's just great advice. Spiritual navel-gazing is exhausting. Look to your Savior. Look to your Savior. He goes on, he says, for every look at, Christ, at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. <laughs> such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace. And all for sinners, even the chief, live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel the all-seeing eye settled upon you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with the heart-ravishing sense of his sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart and so there'll be no room folly, or the world, or Satan, or the flesh. If you need strength, let's pray for it. I'm going to pray now, but I invite you to pray to the Lord yourself as well. Ask him for what you need. He's able to strengthen you according to the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we have a wonderful tendency to make everything about ourselves. Not particularly wonderful. Lord, we, we live for our own glory. But we know that's not right. We know that compromises your glory. At the end of the day, Lord, you call it idolatry, the worship of something else other than you. And so, Lord, we want to confess that, that our hearts are self-exalting. We ask that your Holy Spirit would change us into little glory mirrors reflecting your glory to the world. Would we magnify in everything who it is you are, all that you do. Give us thankful hearts, full of gratitude for what, who, for what you've done for us. Would we be full of praise. Would the praise rise up and overflow? Or would we truly be walking doxologies? But Lord, we know we need your strength for this. But we all need your strength all the time. Sometimes we just notice it a bit more than other times. But Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. Holy Spirit, would you, would you drive us? Would we live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit? Animated by your Spirit. We know the only way to get that strength, Lord, is, is through the gospel. To so keep our eyes fixed on our Savior, who has loved us, who is worthy of our praise, whose, whose heart is strong towards us, not weak. Help us believe it. Help us believe it, Lord.
pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.